Eisenhower decided that the one thing he wanted more than anything was to hit Jim Thorpe so hard that he would knock him out of the game. <laughs> and he finally got his chance late in the game, and he hit him as hard as he could, and he was sure he got him. And Jim Thorpe got up, brushed himself off, and kept on playing like nothing happened. Welcome back to the Substantiate Podcast. And in this week's episode, I have an amazing conversation with Chris from the Vlogging Through History YouTube channel. If you don't know who he is, definitely go check out his channel. He's got all kinds of history videos, uh, and he'll talk a little more about that in a minute. Obviously, links down in the show notes. You can find Substantiate on Instagram and Twitter, at SubstantiatePod. And don't forget to send this episode to a friend that you think might like this episode because that helps expand our audience. And before we get into this conversation, I want to tell you about SeatGeek because here's the thing. It's an exciting time to be a sports fan right now, but ticket prices can sometimes be a bit expensive. But on SeatGeek, they give you a great indicator of whether you're getting good value for seats or not. On SeatGeek.com, they have little dots, and if it's really like dark green, you know you're getting good value for those seats. If it's light green, you're getting, you know, decent value. If it's yellow or red, eh, you might want to look for different seats. So SeatGeek is the best way, in my opinion, to go out and buy tickets to a sports event or concert and if you use code substantiate pod you will save yourself $20 off on your first purchase on seatgeek.com and let's get into my talk with chris today i'm joined by chris from the vlogging through history youtube channel how are you today chris I'm doing great. How about yourself? Good. Nice evening here. First day of March. So you have your YouTube channel, Vlogging Through History. I've watched it now for several months, several videos. I've recently been watching the World War One series you've been mm. doing, sort of related to my history class in school. But do you want to take a minute to tell the listeners how did you get started with this and sure. how you've grown so quickly? Okay, so I started um, five and a half years ago, I started a strategy gaming YouTube channel and it grew kind of slow and then took off a little bit. And after five and a half years, it's got about 55,000 subscribers, but I travel a lot as a speaker for Rachel's Challenge. And so when I would travel, I would visit historic sites and I would just vlog my experience. And I thought, well, I'll start a channel doing that. And uh, I started the channel right when COVID hit and shut all the travel down. So I had a channel that I couldn't put any videos on because I couldn't <laughs> travel. So I started doing reaction videos to other historical content on YouTube just as a way to bide time until I could start traveling again. And it just took off. And in 14 months, I've got over 250,000 subscribers now. And so I do a mix. I do a mix of original content, visiting historic sites or talking about history. And then I still do some reaction videos too. Yeah. And I know you recently traveled to France and filmed a ton of videos so a lot of World War One, France-related stuff coming out. And just some quick Googling I did. You rank in the top 25,000 channels in the U.S. 
And according to Playboard.co, you have a very high like and comment rate. So it's uh, definitely quite the community there. Oh, our community is fantastic. And that was the thing I didn't expect when I started the channel was just how much I was going to just come to really love and appreciate having this community of all these people who love the same things I love, people like you who love history. And I don't really have that connection in my personal life. So it's nice to have that in the virtual world. Yeah. And one policy that you hold on your channel is sort of, you know, just talking about current politics, trying to keep it civilized and uh, only where it is directly applicable. So we're going to hold that standard today. It's hard to ignore some recent presidents with uh, their athletic backgrounds, but nonetheless, we're going to not get too much into the politics as much as history. We're each going to draft a team here of one goalkeeper, two forwards, two midfielders, and two defenders. And we'll talk about the picks as we go and get into, you know, your offense versus my defense and vice versa. So starting it off here, I'll give you the first pick as the guest on this episode. Who are you going to take? Oh boy, I've got to pick somebody that I think you might pick. (laughs) I am going to take as my first pick, my goalkeeper is going to be Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan was an a-, a good athlete. He played some football. Oh, you're wearing a Reagan shirt. Awesome. <laughs> Very cool. So Ronald Reagan, um, he was a good athlete in college. I think he played some football, but he's six foot one. So we've had a lot of six foot presidents as of late, but he was a lifeguard for some time. And supposedly, over the span of seven years as a lifeguard, he saved 77 people. And so when I'm thinking about a goalkeeper who needs to be able to get saves uh, and keep the ball from going in the net, um, I decided Ronald Reagan would be perfect for my goalkeeper. Good athlete, can communicate well. My son's played goalkeeper some, and um, goalkeeper needs to be able to communicate and tell everybody where they want him. And Ronald Reagan's probably one of the best communicators we've ever had as president. So that's my goalkeeper. Yeah, that sounds like a good pick. I know my dad has talked about when the Challenger space shuttle exploded and how he remembers when he was in school and watching that speech. Uh, And pretty sure one of his nicknames is the great communicator. Yes. And he, uh, that, to this day, and I talked about this the other day on my channel, most memorable presidential speech of my lifetime was that speech he gave on TV that night. I was one of those kids watching on TV as well, and I'll never forget that speech. It just He, he struck the perfect tone with uh, what needed to be communicated to America in that moment. Yeah. So now with my first pick, I'm going to lean in sort of a similar direction here with uh, saving lives in the water. I'm going to go with, you might guess it, JFK. JFK. Yep. Also, as a goalie, I think for the same reasons, another excellent communicator. He's a good overall charismatic person. He gets people to like him, get behind him, and get some of that youthful spirit in there that sort of contrasts Mm. to Ronald Reagan. (laughs) Yeah, our oldest (laughs) and one of our youngest presidents. Yeah, well, as of five years ago, he was the oldest, and now he's third oldest yeah i was quick but um (laughs) good pick yeah a leader too yeah an officer in the navy saved lives like you said on when pt 109 was sunk and he was an athlete too i think he was quite a swimmer in his day which uh, means he's got a lot of endurance a lot of strength yeah and another thing there you know he set goals you know obviously by the end of the decade we'll 
have a man on the moon. Mm. And come 1969, you know, unfortunately, he wasn't there to see it. But sure enough, we had a couple of men on the moon there. Yeah, that Rice University speech when he set that out. Uh, I kind of missed that. I missed the days when we had leaders who set out like really ambitious goals that the whole country got behind like that. And yeah, that's another real memorable presidential speech right there that'll live for a long time. Yeah. Meanwhile, it's kind of hard to imagine if, you know, any politician today said, by 2040, we're going to have a man on Mars. It seems <laughs> a little far away now, but I'm sure it must have then. They'd be afraid that somebody would hold him to it, and they'd be calculating the risk <laughs> of making such a speech, and he didn't care. Yeah. All right. So moving on into round two here of seven, who is your pick? Oh, okay. Uh, let's see. Uh, so this one's a little more popular president, and I'll give some of my reasons why. One of my forwards... Um, I've, I've coached soccer for a long time, and I like having somebody tall and athletic, somebody who can get up there and get the header and knock it in, somebody who isn't afraid to kind of mix it up down there in front of the goal. So I'm going to take Abraham Lincoln. Mm. Tall, incredible wrestler, only ever lost one wrestling match in his life. Uh, he's in the Wrestling Hall of Fame. He's a thin guy, but tall. He was also a, a great leader, knew how to put a team together, even a team of people that maybe thought they could do the job better than he could. So yeah, Abraham Lincoln, 6'4", my forward. Yeah, and one thing that stands out from Lincoln is obviously his vice president, Andrew Johnson, was a Democrat while he was a Republican. And, you know, at a time, I guess he was trying to unify the country around something, which... You know, obviously, something as big as the South seceding is, uh, you know, a very big deal. But it also shows a bit of bipartisanship and working in there as a team player. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. He uh, and there's a, a fantastic book uh, Doris Kearns Goodwin wrote uh, called uh, Team of Rivals, which is uh, Steven Spielberg's movie. Lincoln was uh, used that as some of its source material in it. Talks a lot about that, uh, about how he took all the guys that he ran against for the Republican nomination and put them in his cabinet. Uh, and then, exactly, he puts uh, a Southern uh, War Democrat uh, on the ticket with him, uh, drops a Northerner from Maine and Hannibal Hamlin. So, yeah, it was, uh, it was a big deal, and he was always thinking about how to get the most out of people. So, yeah, I think he'd be a good, good teammate. And at the same time, uh, you know, again, post his death, that pick – might not have come into handy kind of setting back reconstruction uh, oh gosh yeah quite a bit and probably my repeat. my number one on my list of worst presidents of all time andrew johnson uh I agree 100 percent. just those first couple of months after lincoln was assassinated just did unbelievable damage to the country um especially to the newly freed slaves with some of his policies and especially coming off of a president like Abraham Lincoln, it's not coming off of, you know, a Zachary Taylor, someone, yeah. who, okay, whatever, but, you know, it's coming off of someone that especially we remember as being such an important figure in U.S. history. All right, so with my next pick, I'm going with an early 20th century president, and I was worried might be your next pick, uh, Theodore Roosevelt. <laughs> it almost was it almost was i almost made him my first pick because i was afraid you might pick him but you got him first yeah and i mean talk about 
guys that have done it all. You know, he's been all over. He leaves the vice presidency, although technically still holding the position to go fight in Cuba during the Spanish-American War. So definitely a leader from the front, which is why I'm also putting him as a forward. (laughs) Uh, And... you know, leading the Rough Riders. He's another person that he'll take multiple things into account. He was, you know, uh, one of the first presidents in the progressive era, setting out mm-hmm. the the all of the national parks and eventually goes and helps create the Panama Canal. And he's also a bit relentless in ways, you know, even after William Howard Taft becomes president in 1908 he still runs again against Mm. taft in 1912 uh leading to the split of the republican party and the rise Uh, of woodrow wilson but (laughs) in in five minutes we've managed to talk about both of my most presidents (laughs) woodrow wilson oh yeah that's a one and only thing that i don't like about theodore roosevelt is that he gave us woodrow wilson yeah and also uh you know, has some luck, too, in surviving the bullet wound from oh, his yeah. assassination attempt. So, you know what? Luck never hurts. Yeah, and shows his toughness, too. I mean, the man finished the speech. He got shot in the chest and <laughs> finished the speech before going to the hospital. And then they never did take the bullet out. Uh, Medal of Honor recipient, um, which I think was Bill Clinton gave him the Medal of Honor. Uh, it was many, many years after he died and, and many years after his son got the Medal of Honor in World War II. Um, all of his sons fought. I actually speaking of World War One because I just was over there. Uh, all of his sons were officers in World War One in France. Uh, oh son, yeah, I remember you mentioning that. And his son Quentin was uh, shot down uh, as a as a pilot was shot down by the Germans and killed. Yeah, and didn't you also mention that the Germans held a like a full funeral for his son? They did, and uh, I, I actually planned to visit the site where he was shot down and originally buried when I was over there, but the day that I was in that area, I just took too long everywhere else I was, so I didn't get to it, so I'll probably go back. But yeah, they did, and that was something they did on both sides. When the Red Baron was shot down, the Allies gave him a full military honors funeral, and the Germans did the same for Quentin Roosevelt in 1918 when he was shot down. Yeah, World War One was a bit weird in that sense, like the Christmas Day soccer game speaking of soccer Mm -hmm. uh in the ceasefire although that was at the beginning of the war in 1914 still just goes to show it was a bit of a stranger war in terms of politics there it was because you didn't have like in world war ii where it seemed like the the bad versus good was a little more clearly defined with what the nazis were doing and stuff yeah it it wasn't quite like that in world war one and there there was definitely a lot of respect on both sides for the common soldier that both uh, both sides realized, hey, we're, we're all in this because people way up the chain of command made a decision that we had nothing to do with. So it's really fascinating, and it's something I noticed a lot when I was over there, just the respect that they had for each other. Yeah, really just where treaties came into play, and, mm-hmm. uh, and obviously now that is currently uh, you know a big deal with politics but you know back then in part of Woodrow Wilson's 14 points like all treaties should be public and out there so that nothing like that happens where some small conflict turns into three other nations declaring war and then three others declaring war yeah yeah exactly and boy isn't that coming back right now with everything that's going on in the world not that we're talking about modern things but Alliances and treaties are a big 
topic of conversation even now. Yeah. All right. Moving into round three. We both take it a goalkeeper and a forward. So I'll move over to defense now. Um, this one, uh, I, I was thinking about this a little bit and I decided to go with uh, Dwight D. Eisenhower. Uh, Eisenhower played linebacker at West Point when he was uh, when he was in the military academy, uh, and w- at one point, as a linebacker at West Point, uh, went up against the football team that Jim Thorpe was playing on, who was one of the greatest <laughs> athletes of the 20th century. And, and Eisenhower decided that the one thing he wanted more than anything was to hit Jim Thorpe so hard that he would knock him out of the game. <laughs> and he finally got his chance late in the game, and he hit him as hard as he could, and he was sure he got him. And Jim Thorpe got up, brushed himself off, and kept on playing like nothing happened. Eisenhower was just so deflated in that moment that he had given his best and it still wasn't enough. And he actually ended up getting hurt and it almost cost him his military career that hit. But a lot of people who have written about Eisenhower said that was kind of a turning point in his life when he really turned into a fighter and really turned into somebody who realized he was going to have to go after everything. And um, yeah, so I thought he would be a good defender, uh, someone to have on the back line, a, a person with linebacker experience, somebody who also is a great leader who knows how to get the best out of everybody around him. Um, You know, probably the, I mean, he is the highest ranking general we've ever had as president, one of the highest ranking generals in our history, and yet never had any combat experience. All of his military positions were staff positions, but he was so good at it that he just kept rising up through the ranks. But meanwhile, here today, he's down on the field as your defender. So (laughs) a bit of a new space for him to be doing the dirty work. And, Yeah, I mean, not only was he the highest ranking general as a U.S. president, but, you know, he was, you know, he commanded all of the allied troops in Europe. So he did more than just American troops. He was, Mm -hmm. you know, probably the most influential in that sense in the international realm. And that goes a lot to that says a lot about. Uh, his, I mean, even though he had no political experience before he became president, he was a politician all his life because he knew, and that was why he was chosen for that role because he knew how to um, deal with all of the conflicting, um, you know, people, you know, people like Monty and Patton and people like Churchill and Roosevelt and having to deal with um, the Russians even and and just trying to handle a multinational coalition and he did it probably better than anybody else could have. Yeah. If you've been listening to the podcast for a little while now, you know about Built Bar. They're the best protein bar on the market. They have a new flavor that came out just a couple days ago in honor of St. Patrick's Day coming up in a couple of weeks. They have released the Shamrock flavor, uh, which is one of the white chocolate bars, which is special. And... If you haven't tried the puffs yet, they're protein-infused marshmallow. They are delicious. They've got churro puffs, banana cream pie, coconut marshmallow, ruby chocolate, lemon dip cheesecake, all puffs, all marshmallow. They are delicious, and that's all in addition to the regular flavors. You got your standard double chocolate. It's always reliable there when you need a quick bite. Uh, one of my favorite flavors, mint brownie, cherry barcia, uh, peanut butter brownie, 
as well as a few others, and they're always coming out with new flavors, many of which are limited time, so make sure to go to Built.com, see if they have any new flavors when you're listening to this, and save yourself 10% off with code SUBSTANTIATE at checkout. Again, at Built.com, save 10% off of your purchase with code SUBSTANTIATE on Built.com. So now moving into my pick. So this one is a bit of maybe a little out of the blue. It might be a little bit of a stretch, but I'm going with James Madison as a midfielder. Okay. So my thinking with this is, right, James Madison, there's really two biggest things that stand out when you look at him. First, there's the Constitution, obviously, and then there's also the War of 1812. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking of him, and I'm thinking, well, the War of 1812 especially. I live here in Toronto, and in Canada, Canadians think that they won the War of 1812. In America, Americans think they were 1812. And, you know, up for debate, not necessarily um, a specific you know, winner. But at the same time, I think there's sort of a combination mixed in there of offense and defense that Mm -hmm. would lend itself to midfield on a soccer pitch. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I I hear that a lot from my Canadian viewers on YouTube uh, (laughs) about their role in War of 1812, and I won't dispute that. Uh, And, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty interesting. I have a lot of respect for Canadians, especially after visiting uh, France, because you know, the Canadians such had a prominent role in, in uh, World War One, and um, the Newfoundland Regiment. I did a whole um, yeah. episode about them. Of course, they weren't technically part of Canada yeah. during World War One, but still, they're they're Canadians, and uh, uh, just incredible what they did. And yeah, James Madison. Uh, that's not one I would have thought of, but that's good. Father of the Constitution um, helped Alexander Hamilton write the Federalist Papers, and uh, yeah, one of our smallest i think he might have been our smallest president yeah um, five but, foot four but yeah there are good athletes out there you know i ran cross country in high school and college and I, usually the people that beat me in cross country were the little guys so, <laughs> which you wouldn't expect but never underestimate the tenacity of a small person on the field and ironically he you know he was president at the same time that napoleon ruled over in france yeah. and i remember it was a final jeopardy question a couple of years ago and i don't watch jeopardy too frequently but it happened to be the question like uh these two leaders known for their short height both ruled at the beginning of the 19th century funny thing is though napoleon wasn't as short as everybody thinks he was he was about, <laughs> he was about five seven or five eight yeah um, i know i i remembered googling that afterwards and it's a like, bit of well. a bit of british propaganda the whole shortness thing and it also had something <laughs> to do with um french inches being different than british inches or something mm. like that but yeah that's what I, how everybody thinks of him but he wasn't yeah and when you mention canada and world war one I, I mean you know, as a ninth grader in a Canadian high school, uh, our history course is Canadian history since World War One, and in that we talked a lot about uh, World War One because Canada played more of a prominent role in World War One than World War Two. But yeah, like you mentioned, I did a battle report of the Somme and the Newfoundland Regiment mm-hmm. where. Almost every single person was shot down on the first day of the Somme. But 
you know, just throughout that whole thing, it's something that Canadians, you know, have a lot of pride about and at Vimy Ridge, especially rather than World War II, where they didn't play as big of a role. But um, but it was definitely something big. Which one of the beaches was it? Was it Sword Beach is where the Canadians landed on D-Day? Yeah, I forget. I think we're supposed to talk You're about that You're supposed to know next that. Week. <laughs> well, uh, oh, you haven't gotten to it yet. Yeah, we have yeah. a test this weekend. But <laughs> Vimy Ridge was the other thing that a lot of my Canadian viewers were like, how come you're not going there? I'm like, next trip, <laughs> next trip. It's coming, I promise. Yeah, something that the French tried for years to yep. take. And the Canadians and Arthur Curry come in, and with enough preparation, they figure it out. All right, so moving into round four, and now we're back to you. All right, I don't have a midfielder yet, so, boy, I got a couple of good choices here. I'm going to go with George W. Bush. Another more recent one here. I don't get to talk about recent <laughs> stuff on my channel too much, but George W. Bush, uh, excellent athlete. He was a, he, he played some baseball in college, wasn't a, nearly as good mm-hmm. a baseball player as his dad was, but, um, but he was a great runner. And as a, a cross country runner myself in college, um, he ran a marathon when he was 43 years old at like an eight and a half minute pace, which is fantastic. Wow. Um, and when he was like 55, he ran a 5K in like 20, 20 and a half minutes. It was like a, under a seven minute mile pace, which is phenomenal for a 55 year old man. And uh, a lot of the Secret Service agents said, he wasn't a he wasn't a jogger. He was a runner. He really was. At <laughs> um, midfield, you need somebody who can run up and down the pitch. Who can who's got a lot of uh, endurance. And I had a guy on my cross country team in college who had never run cross country in his whole life until our freshman year of college. But he'd been playing soccer since he was five, and he had more endurance than I did because there's something about especially playing midfield where you just got to have a lot of energy and a lot of endurance and um, I think George W. Bush though he necessarily was kind of the opposite of Reagan in terms of how well he could communicate things I I think was a good leader and knew how to inspire people even if it was behind the scenes and not necessarily in front of the camera Uh, but you hear that a lot from people who worked with him was that he is one of those people who could get people on his side and really kind of rally people to a cause so that's my midfielder pick and the last time that we did a president's episode was like one of the first episodes of the podcast back in the summer of 2020 and uh, so I told the story then I'll tell it now I briefly met him on a beach in Kennebunkport Maine where he walked his dog every morning that summer and went out there and took a picture with him and then not this past weekend but the weekend before Uh, I was in Dallas visiting my brother, and we went to the George W. Bush Presidential Library there, and, you know, they talk about, they spend a lot of time on 9-11 and how he had record high approval ratings as, uh, following that as, you know, any president that responded in a patriotic way would have, most likely, but, uh, but definitely can focus on... Uh, certain things and has dealt with disasters yeah, before. Yeah, 
I've also been to, uh, I got to go to his presidential library down there. Um, what's that? Uh, oh, Texas. It's SMU. a university. SMU. That's it. Southern Methodist. Yeah. And I've been to his. I've been to Bill Clinton's library. It was a really good one, too. I've been to Gerald Ford's up in Michigan. Yeah. I don't know if we'll ever see anything like that in my lifetime again. A 90% approval rating. <laughs> uh, I mean, everybody. And it didn't take long for that to go away, either. I mean, within two years, it was gone. But that's that's politics for you. Yeah. And within 20 years, we're in... You know, a bit of a more fragile, polarized oh, yeah. situation. But yep. I, I guess you could say that that didn't necessarily start the lead to division, but certainly didn't help as, yeah. you know, bigger matters came along. And then last thing there, he also goes, or at least this year, has been to every SMU men's basketball home really? game. So when I was down there, we went to the Memphis versus SMU game. And sure enough, sitting there courtside, there he was, and they uh, they briefly showed him. And cool to see him out there again, rooting for his wife's alma mater. Nice. Uh, one of the weird things, I'll have to double check this while you're talking, but I think that George W. Bush, Bill Clinton, and Donald Trump were all born the same year. 1946, I think they were all born. Hmm. I'm going to have to look it up to be sure, but I, I think I remember that being the case, but... I'll look it up while you're doing your next pick. Yeah, and, you know, if you extend it into Joe Biden, he's not uh, much farther from there, so. Yeah, yeah, let's see. He, and 42, so he's even older, yeah. Oh, he's got the same birthday as my son. Look at that. Okay. <laughs> and so now, moving into my fourth pick, just like you drafted a midfielder because you didn't have any at that point, I'm going to draft a defender here. So... This one, it's a bit trickier in terms of like if I'm looking at my previous example with James Madison for midfield. In a lot of cases, you know, the U.S. has been a bit more proactive in terms of wars rather than reactive to, you know, someone trying to come into the U.S. So defender, I'm going to look back more at a little more athleticism there and as a football player uh, at the University of Michigan and I see you're wearing an Ohio State shirt so I am a (laughs) big Michigan fan so I am going with Gerald Ford there someone that although he had a bit of a reputation for being a little uh, I guess clumsy you know at the end of the day he played college football and I'm not sure you know what, maybe he was taking the hits that he became a little clumsy, but uh, but Gerald Ford is going to be my first defender. Yeah, he was definitely a legit college athlete. I mean, he, was, he, was, he wasn't just like some fringe dude. He was a really good player. I think he played center and maybe linebacker or something. Um, and despite the fact that he played for the team up north, who I will not mention, <laughs> like you did, um, yeah, I'll give him a pass on that because he, he, he was. He was a great athlete. <laughs> and he was actually one of the ones I considered for defense. So good pick. Yeah, and quite a few. Well, maybe not quite a few, but also uh, George H.W. Bush played college baseball at Yale. Yep. yep. And W. might have also. W. did his, I think he played like JV his freshman oh, okay. year, but then didn't make the team after that. But yeah, his dad was a first baseman at Yale. Played in the very the two very first College World Series that were ever hmm. that ever happened, and he was he was kind of a mediocre hitter, but he was a, a really good fielder. He was the best fielding player they had on their team. He was actually 
one of my considerations for defense because of how good he was as a fielder. I've got him down as one of my possibilities, but I'm going to go with somebody else. Yeah. And last summer I read a book. It's called The Cloud Buster Nine. And it's about all of the MLB players that went into the armed forces during World War II. So it was primarily centered around Ted Williams. But meanwhile, Ted Williams and I think they said like 25 other MLB players went and trained to become Navy pilots down at UNC Chapel Hill. And they briefly mentioned that H.W. Bush, who was also a Navy pilot, they didn't quite overlap, but played on the baseball team at uh, at that training mm-hmm. site just a couple months apart from Ted Williams and a few other major leaguers, which was an interesting, almost coincidence. That's cool. Yeah, he... Um and it was actually after World War II that he went to Yale and played on the baseball team. He uh, he was the youngest Navy pilot in, in the entire Navy and was shot down. Um, very nearly ended up on an island with a bunch of cannibals, but was rescued by uh, <laughs> by a submarine and spared that fate. Yeah. Um, so, although he's technically not on either of our teams yet, but uh, no, he's not. But so we've but been taught. Yeah, we've been a he, couple he, of he, World War II veterans so far. Yeah, he, he was about to be my next. Uh, my next consideration for defense, but um, I'm looking at my list and I realize I've got four Republicans and I don't want to appear quite so one sided. <laughs> so uh, with Reagan, Lincoln, Eisenhower, and Bush. So uh, I'm going to go with my second defender, uh, Grover Cleveland. More vetoes in his first term than any president by far, had over 400 <laughs> vetoes in his four years of his first term. Uh, a tenacious guy, because this is a time when. The period from Lincoln, well, at least after Johnson, who was never really elected president, was elected vice president. But basically from Lincoln up through Woodrow Wilson, we only have one Democrat elected president, and that's Grover Cleveland. And uh, gets elected once, then gets beat, and then comes back and beats (laughs) the guy that beat him uh, for a second non-consecutive term. And so that shows a lot of tenacity. And those vetoes show his willingness to get in the way of anything that he he felt he needed to stop. So uh, the only person who had more vetoes as president than him overall was Franklin Roosevelt, but he did that in 12 years. So, um, And I think he had over 600. So, uh, yeah. yeah, we have Gro- to like narrow it down to like yeah. uh, vetoes per year statistic. Right. And, and Cleveland, <laughs> almost all of his were in his first term, 400 in his first term. I think only 100 and some in his second term. Um, so I think when I, was, when I was thinking about defenders, the first thing I thought of was who had a lot of vetoes. And so Grover Cleveland's my pick. Yeah, that, that, <laughs> that's an interesting way to look at it there. And I, I think I remember hearing a story about his wife telling like people that worked at the White House, you know, uh, as they were leaving the first time, like, remember how this is all laid out because we'll be back here in four years and I want everything back the way it is. <laughs> so March Madness is coming up in just a couple of weeks after the conference tournaments wrap up. And... You might want a new shirt for your favorite college. I know in this episode, Chris is an Ohio State guy. I'm a Michigan guy. So you can find any college. You can get some shirts or sweatshirts, pants, anything you want for basically any team, NFL, NCAA, MLB, if there's ever a season, NBA, NHL, and even MLS and NASCAR over on fanatics.com and if you use the code down in the show notes 
it will get linked back to the podcast, help us out a little bit. But all over there, I mean, you can get things, literally any team, whether you're getting ready for the hopeful start of baseball, the NBA or NHL playoffs, there is something for every sports fan on fanatics.com. And again, there is a link down in the show notes that will track your purchase back to the podcast and help us out a bit. All right, so I am moving on to my fifth pick. I currently have one of each position, and this one is going to seem a bit crazy, but I'm drafting Joe Biden as my next midfielder. Just before we were recording this, I was reading an article about that apparently like he played on like rookie football at his college at Delaware and it was something like uh, I think they said he was a receiver so he was really fast hmm. and just like you were talking about with speed for George W Bush it, again you wouldn't recognize it today necessarily mm-hmm. but going with Joe Biden there and maybe his peak form as a midfielder as a 19 year old yeah it's important for us to remember that these guys weren't <laughs> always in their late 70s they were once young men and my, my daughter is uh she's about your age and um, she actually showed me a picture one day she said you know who this is and I'm like that looks like Joe Biden she said it is <laughs> it was a picture of him when he was like in his 20s and she's like he's hot and <laughs> like she thought it was really attractive i'm like well you know he wasn't always what he is now he, he was once a young guy too you know and yeah so yeah interesting yeah i'll have to look into that more I, I knew that he had some athletic experience but i wasn't really sure what it was all about and, you know midfielders have to be able to bounce back uh and, and and recover when something doesn't go their way and you know regardless of how i would or would not support joe biden uh, in his policies, the man's been through a lot. Holy cow! I mean, he, you know, he lost his wife and I think one of his children to a car accident right when he got elected to Senate for the first time, and then he's outlived another son since then, uh, who who passed away from brain cancer. And uh, boy, uh, as a parent myself, I, I know what that could do to a person, and uh, it's a lot to overcome. And to be able to press on and continue to to serve publicly is is an admirable thing. I think. And, you know, again, whether you agree with the policy or not, the package Build Back Better has uh, yet to been passed, but um, sort of a, you know, little comeback there with Mm -hmm. that is uh, a fail. So, you know, I guess this is something where we've seen presidents, Franklin Pierce coming Mm -hmm. to mind, that didn't recover from something like that. So, So Joe Biden there definitely, yeah, I mean... Mm-hmm. tragedies in his life that he has come back from. Yeah, exactly. All right, so moving on to your sixth pick. All right, I got a forward and a midfielder left. I'm going to go with my other forward here, and again, I'm going to go for a tall, athletic wrestler, George Washington. George Washington, it was said, was always the the biggest guy in the room, always taller than everybody else. You know, at a time when the average height was shorter, he still remains one of our tallest presidents uh, that we've ever had and was was a good horseman and, you know, always considered to be athletic as a younger man. And again, you know, we remember him. People forget during the Revolutionary War, he, he was my age. He was like in his, he was in his 40s. He wasn't an old guy yet. He was only 
like 63 when he died. Again, another guy who's in the the wrestling hall of fame because uh, he was known to be a, a a tough, tenacious guy, and he was not a great strategist on the battlefield. He got outflanked and outsmarted time and time again, but the man could hold an army together and and, and hold leadership together, and and he knew when to make the strike. And that's what you need as a forward. You don't need the forward to have 20 shots on goal. You just need him to make the shot when he takes it. And the Battle of Trenton, to me, is a perfect example of that. He didn't get many opportunities like that during the war, but when he got them, he took them, and he took advantage of them. So he's my striker. All right. So my next pick is going to sort of build off that. I believe it was James Monroe in the boat with him, right? In the painting, Washington crossing the Delaware. So, obviously, still related to the Battle of Trenton, although he may not have been the highest in command there. James Monroe, I'm going to directly build off of your last pick and draft as my uh, second forward there. He was, uh, he was wounded at Trenton pretty severely, I think. Um, and yeah, I think he wasn't really able to serve much in the field after that. He was a, he was a young officer, like a lieutenant, I think. Uh, at Trenton. And yeah, I, I don't know if he really was in the boat with Washington. He probably wasn't, but uh, that's how it's depicted in the painting of him crossing the Delaware, because it makes for a cool story to have two two future presidents in the same boat together. <laughs> yeah, I've uh, been to his grave um, down in Virginia. He's one of uh, many Virginia presidents. Uh, Virginia and then us here in Ohio, we have the most presidents, but Virginia's got better presidents than we do. <laughs> Ours weren't great for the most part. My last pick's going to be an Ohio president um, for my, my other other midfielder, I'm going with uh, one of my all-time favorite human beings, my favorite historical figure of all time, Ulysses S. Grant. As a midfielder, this guy was a brilliant strategist. He wasn't necessarily the tactician that a Robert E. Lee was, but he was a great strategist. I think the best strategist of the war. He knew the big picture. He knew how everything fit together. He knew how the pieces had to go together. And that's what you need in a good creative midfielder, somebody that knows how to make the best use of the pieces around them and get the ball to whoever it needs to go to and make sure that they're able to do what needs to be done. So Grant's my my other midfielder pick. Yeah, and jumping back to Monroe quickly here, I just looked it up. He was severely wounded at Trenton, taking a musket ball to the shoulder. Then he was... Uh, tended after they after his party crossed the river, according to valleyforge.org. So with my last pick here as a defender, I'm not necessarily drafting this person as, you know, because of their sports background or uh, characteristics as president, but I'm going with James Polk. I just think that, uh, you know, actually, who is one of the people you've worked with, Mr. Beat, one of his videos about Polk, Underrated. Know, really interesting yeah. how, you know, he basically in four years set out, did everything that he campaigned on. Basically, he achieves manifest destiny. Uh, I think it was securing the Oregon Territory, letting the U.S. reach from the Atlantic to the Pacific. He goes out, wins the Mexican War, although highly controversial, um, Regardless, he won, so history mm-hmm. looks at him uh, in the right for the most part for that. And I think, yeah, I think it was Polk. I visited his grave at the Tennessee State, State Capitol in Nashville, yep. Uh, yep. sort of on the back corner. But someone there, again, sort of like um, 
you know, JFK, he'll set goals, he'll come through on them, and someone that I feel that I can rely on as a defender. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's important. You know, I uh, it's funny, my uh, my son's last soccer tournament, uh, he's, he's getting ready to go into high school, so he just finished up his last travel soccer season, and now he's transitioning into the high school team and uh, our very last tournament one of his friends on the team is our center back and uh, there were so many times that the opponent got past everybody else and just out of nowhere here comes Jaden to the rescue <laughs> so we started calling him calling him State Farm because uh, State Farm the <laughs> insurance company used to have a a slogan like a good neighbor State Farm is there yep and and I was like don't worry Jaden will be there because he always shows up and you know you need a, a defender who can who can get there and be reliable on to be that last stop um, before the the opponent's able to get in there and try to score. So yeah, absolutely. Polk is one of those rare politicians who did everything he said he would do and then walked away. Yeah, um, and, and died soon after. Yeah, he did. <laughs> and we've had a few presidents like that who died like pretty much right after they left office. Uh, Washington didn't live very long after. And then there's other people who just live forever, like Jimmy Carter, who's <laughs> who's never going to die. He's like 97, I think, and yeah, he's had he was brain president cancer. almost 50 yeah. years ago. <laughs> yeah, he was president when I was born, and I'm, I'm 44, <laughs> so yeah. Uh, and he had just taken office then, and, and uh, yeah, so uh, John Adams was another one who lived a long, long time, although he was older when he became president, but still died uh, at the age of 90 at a time when most people didn't live that old, so. Yeah. All right, so do we want to draft a coach here? Yeah, that's a good idea. I'll let you go right. first since I've been picking first all the time. You go ahead and sure. go first. So I'm going with Harry Truman here. And I was debating between FDR and Truman because of the World War II leadership. And ultimately, I came down on uh, Truman because, again, whether you agree with it or not, it was a ballsy decision to go and drop yeah. not just one, but two atomic bombs on Japan. And again, whether you agree with it or not, I want someone that's in there to make the tough decisions and not to not care what people think, but to, you know, hold his values and what he thinks to ahead do, of. To do what he thinks is right, even if yep. he realizes it might get him, you know, and his famous slogan, the buck stops here. That was his thing. He he was no nonsense kind of guy. I, I like Harry Truman a lot. And, and I'm actually going to go with the guy you didn't pick, FDR. Um, yeah. Regardless of his domestic policies i don't think anybody disagrees that he was a great wartime leader i think he he knew what needed to be done uh the fireside chats we talked about this when i was doing my stream with mr beat were were fantastic one of the very first uses of media in a powerful way to reach directly into the homes of americans and communicate at a time when that was super important and i think he learned that from uh, people like Churchill or even King George the Sixth over in England, who they would use radio as a way of communicating directly with the people. Um, and we take that for granted now. Like tonight is the State of the Union address here in America, uh, where the president's going to speak and it's going to be broadcast to the, the public. But that wasn't a thing that people normally experienced even 80 years ago, the hearing the president talk to them directly on a regular basis about what was going on at a time when it seemed like the whole world had gone crazy. And a uh, ton of respect for FDR for how he led us during the world, uh, the Second World War. Yeah. 
So now moving on into your offense versus my defense and maybe how just a quick thing or two about how this matchup might look. So you have Lincoln, Washington, Bush and Grant, uh, two forwards and two midfielders against my Madison, Biden, Ford and Polk, two midfielders, two defenders, and then JFK is my goalie. So what's a thing or two that stands out to you there? Well, the first thing that immediately I think of is we have the tallest president ever versus the shortest president ever <laughs> with Lincoln versus Madison and actually two tall presidents with my forward. So that that might get interesting, though Lincoln, though he was super tall, was also very thin. And so short but fast guy like Madison and Biden, who you know was apparently a good athlete at the time <laughs> too, might be able to use their speed to get around some of these guys and um, Bush, Bush wasn't this. I don't know if he was fast, but he had endurance, which would help in that situation. Ford, you know, being a tough football player type, might be able to outmuscle a Bush, but he might mm. have a little trouble with Grant. Grant was a a pretty tenacious guy, uh, though he wasn't real big himself. He was like yeah. five five seven five eight. Um, yep, and and not. I don't know what his. What, let's look at his numbers here. Uh, uh, 156. So he's on the lighter side, probably one of the lightest, <laughs> one of the lightest presidents we've ever had. As I'm looking at the list, probably Calvin Coolidge might have been only, one of the only ones that was thinner than Grant at, in his prime. Um, so yeah, you might have a little bit of a a muscle and speed advantage on me, uh, whereas I've got the height and endurance. So it would be an interesting mix. I don't know. What do you yeah. think? Yeah. I mean, definitely seeing that, and when I just wrote this on our spreadsheet, I didn't really go in order, so Lincoln may not, uh, de- dependingly, be directly matched up on Madison, but, I mean, you know, everyone's out on the field there together. And what about JFK as a goalie, though? Uh, how do you feel about him there? Uh, he's young, and like you said, a good leader. Um, and before he started having problems with his back later in his life, was uh, mm. an excellent athlete. Like I said, a great swimmer. He played some football as well. Uh, I think when he was in high school, he played football. And you know, I, didn't he like pull somebody a couple miles in the water with his teeth? Yeah. Um, so there's no doubting the guy's toughness. So I think it would be tough to score on a guy like that. Yeah, for sure. So now flipping to the other side of the ball, my offense versus your defense. I have Teddy Roosevelt, James Monroe, James Madison, and Joe Biden, a bunch of J's there, uh, up against Bush, Grant, Eisenhower, Cleveland, and Reagan as your goalie. Uh, What's something there? Uh, I'm a little worried about my speed when I look at it on that side. I don't feel like (laughs) I've got any quickness there. I've got a lot of... um, I think intelligence and uh, like, you know, when I look at Grant and Eisenhower, I was thinking mostly about their their intelligence and leadership, but I don't know athletically how they would fare against someone like a Teddy Roosevelt or even, you know, again, James Madison being the the small wiry guy that he was. Um, I, I think I might be a little worried about my speed on that side. Okay. So now in terms of like what would each team do to or need to do to win, like in what scenarios. So in this case, I'm going to ask you, which team has the higher ceiling and which team do you think would have the higher floor? I feel like mine is a um, a higher floor. Like, mm-hmm. um, 
I think mine's a more dependable kind of, you're not going to get beat real bad. You're not going to win real big. Yeah. I feel like yours is more of a lineup that might be like, you might come out and put up four goals on me and just overwhelm me. Or you might not be able to score at all, uh, depending on who you're facing and, and how it all plays out. But I feel like mine's more of a kind of dependable, solid lineup, whereas yours is... You know, Roosevelt and JFK and Polk, these are guys who like shined really brightly in their time um, and had a lot of energy, but maybe weren't somebody who were going to, over the course of an entire career, really do great things. Yeah, I I can agree with that. I mean, you look down your lineup, you've got, you know, almost entirely military leaders Mm, or wartime presidents with, I mean, you Ronald Reagan had his fair share of foreign policy uh, stuff to deal with when he was president uh, with end of, well, towards the end of the Cold War. So the only president that really sticks out there is Grover Cleveland. But, uh, but you know, you definitely sort of have that theme on your team. I hadn't even realized that, but you're right. They are all yeah. a lot of military background or wartime leadership there. Meanwhile, on my team, we have, you know, sort of a combination of different things, a little more diversity in terms of background there. And, you know, so something that goes along with that is, you know, they might have all different kinds of mindsets. And in some ways, that can be a good thing. And in some ways, when you have a team like yours with, you know, a predominantly military background, that can also be a good thing. Everyone's on the same page here. Mm. There's pros and cons to each. Um, and I mean, even when we look at both of our coaches to wartime presidents there, so definitely different kinds of things going on on each team. So yeah, I mean, when it comes down to it here, you look at these, what's it, I guess, 16 presidents up there. Who do you think is going to be the MVP and lead their team to a championship in this hypothetical matchup. Well, I don't. I think on your team, Theodore Roosevelt would not let anybody else be the MVP. He would <laughs> find a way. So I, I think if anybody's going to to be the MVP on either side, Theodore Roosevelt jumps out at me as your forward that would lead your team to a great victory. Um, yeah, he's he wants to be number one so badly that he lets Woodrow Wilson become president because he wanted I don't, another uh, chance. Yeah, I don't <laughs> I don't know that Roosevelt knew how to not be that way. That just <laughs> was in his DNA. Uh, and another guy who overcame a lot. I mean, he he lost his mother and his wife on the same day. They died yeah. on the same day on Valentine's Day. Um, <laughs> and and he wrote in his diary that day. He wrote, "The light has gone out of my life," and yet. He achieved all these incredible things after that. And he, he wasn't afraid of anybody. He didn't back down from anybody. Um, so I, I feel like if anybody would rise above, it would be him. Um, and and I'm, I'm looking at my lineup and where I've got some, you know, some of the greatest presidents in history. I just, like nothing's jumping out at me as the guy who's going to take over and be the one who really kind of pushes it through. So that's what I would say. Theodore Roosevelt's going to win it for you. All right. Yeah. I mean, that just goes back to what I was saying, you know, sort of a lack of diversity and background in that respect. You know, so many different leaders here. There are too many cooks in the kitchen kind mm-hmm. of thing going on, you know. So certainly every president is a leader to some extent. Um, so, you know, there's no avoiding that, but specifically military leaders or commanders in chief. 
mm-hmm. in more time. So anyway, that is going to wrap up today's episode. And thanks again for coming on, Chris. And where can the listeners find you other than your YouTube channel, Vlogging Through History? Uh, that's the best place is just to look for Vlogging Through History. But you can also follow me on Instagram. And it's Instagram.com slash Vlogging Through History. Just all, you know, V. Starts with a V as in Victor, not B like in boy. Um, but just look for it there. And I'm always posting a lot of uh, my trips and historic sites and things like that. That's a good place to find me. Yep, sounds good, and you can find that link down in the show notes. And that's going to wrap it up here. Thanks again, Chris. Thank you, sir. I'm glad to to be a part of it today. Hope everyone enjoyed this episode. I sure know that I did. I always love talking U.S. history and U.S. presidents. Uh, Next episode coming out in another two weeks, so a week from next Wednesday, And we'll be back with another interesting take on a hypothetical matchup, sort of looking at some current NBA athletes. And, uh, well, I'm not going to spoil the topic of the episode, but it does pertain to NBA players. So you'll have to wait and see. Again, come back here on March 23rd. And we'll see you back here in two weeks. Thank you for listening to this episode of Substantiate. The best way to help support the show is to, number one, tell your friends about Substantiate. That is the number one way to support us. The second way is to leave us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. Number three, follow us at SubstantiatePod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Hello, I'm Anthony. And I'm Dr. Issues. And we're hosts of Capes on the Couch, the podcast where comics get counseling. Superheroes don't always get to go home happy. That's where we come in. We offer psychiatric and mental health analysis of comic book characters. So check us out at capesonthecouch.live and across all social media platforms at Capes on the Couch.